All right, so uh, our verses for tonight will be 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. We're going to be focusing in on those verses tonight. And the title of tonight's message, if you are a note taker, is Milk, Coffee, and Stones. Milk, Coffee, and Stones. Sounds like the breakfast of champions, as far as I'm concerned. Milk, Coffee, and Stones. And the three points that we're going to be going over, our first point is you can't chew milk. I don't know if you guys are aware, but you can't chew milk. So we're going to be looking at that. Our second point is coffee is spiritual. Coffee is spiritual. I know that sounds weird, but I'm going to explain to you why. And then our third point is loud stones. Loud stones. So that's uh, for our first point, you can't chew milk. Uh, let's read our verses. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 for our first point, you can't chew milk. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. So once again, like we've seen in previous weeks, Peter is using the word therefore. Uh, so we need to know what the therefore is therefore, as is commonly said when this comes up in Bible studies. Uh, so prior to these verses in chapter 1, Peter has been talking about our salvation in Jesus, how God is our living hope, that he is our inheritance, and we're looking forward to being with him in heaven. Even though we may be going through some trials, we can still have this hope because God is refining us through all of the trials. And that Peter also says that this salvation is so incredible that the prophets who wrote about it hundreds of years prior were wondering who it was that they were writing about as they wrote down these things, but it still remained a mystery to them. And Peter also says that this salvation that we have, it's so incredible that the angels in heaven are longing to look into these things. They long to look into these things. But we, we have a great measure of understanding of this gospel, so much so that we have come to faith in this gospel. We believe it, and we've been saved by it. And because of this, because we have this salvation, we need to get serious about our faith, Peter says. We need to get serious about our walk and our relationship with Christ. We need to be holy. We need to be set apart. We need to get to work for the kingdom because this salvation and redemption from our former futile lives came at a great price, which was the death of the one and only Son of God, Jesus, Jesus Christ. He died on our behalf to take our punishment for our sins on the cross. So in light of this, we need to love each other. Peter says that we need to love each other as brothers and sisters under the same heavenly Father. We have been born again, and now we are God's children. All of us who have received Christ, we are God's children. And the way that we have received Christ was through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit working with the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ, right? So that's how we came to this faith. And the word of God, Peter says, is eternal. The word of God is eternal and imperishable, unlike an avocado. If you were here last week, we talked about that. And we will all fade away. All of us will fade away. We'll all pass away. But the word of God endures forever, Peter says. And never forget that John 1.1 tells us that Jesus Christ is the word. Jesus Christ is the word. So... Because of all of this, because of all of this that's contained in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, 
Because of this, we are to long for the pure milk of the word, like newborn babies. The other day, my wife and I, we were feeding our three-month-old daughter, and uh, there's this thing that she's been doing. She does this every once in a while where, uh, you know, instead of going for the milk, which is literally right in front of her face, she puts her fingers in her mouth and she starts sucking on her fingers. And, um, you know, my wife and I would be like, yo, this is some high-quality milk that's, that, that's right in front of you right now. Like, like how are you just going to stuff your fingers in your mouth instead of actually getting nourished by the milk? It's kind of offensive, you know, when, when you think about it. Like, who do you think you are? But eventually, eventually, you know, uh, my daughter realizes that she's hungry, and so she actually goes for the milk instead of settling for the fingers that are in her mouth. So the reason that she goes for the milk is that she's actually craving it. She's longing for that milk. She's longing to be nourished despite her trolling us with her fingers. Now, my baby is, is three months old. She's three months old. And she does actually, she craves and longs for that milk. But Peter says, like a newborn baby, like a newborn baby long for this milk. And newborn babies, they don't play around. Um, they come out of the womb ready to feed. Like they're ready for it. When we were expecting our first son, we went to some birthing classes and uh, we watched this video where, you know, you know a, a, a child, a baby is born. And as, the, as soon as the baby came out, they placed baby on mom's chest. And you just, you see the baby just like, making its way, you know, to, to the breast because they can smell it. They can smell the colostrum. They know where it is. They know how to, they, they, know, what they, they know what to do once they get there. They just, need to, they just need to find it, but they're longing for it. They're longing for the baby, and you just see the baby kind of like make its way and then, you know, start getting to work. And it's so interesting that babies instinctively, they know what they need. They know what they want, and they go for it. They long for it. So Peter says to long for the pure milk of the word like newborn babies. And he says the reason for this is so that we can grow in respect to salvation. So that we can grow in our faith. So that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus. So that we can grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. So let's turn our Bibles. Two books to the left of 1 Peter to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. So Peter compares the word of God to breast milk for a baby because when we are freshly born again, we are babies in Christ. We're, we're babies in Christ when, when we're freshly born again. And we need to grow. So we need to feed on the milk of the word. But babies eventually stop drinking breast milk and they begin to eat solid food. Sooner or later, you have to stop breastfeeding and you need to start using your teeth and your digestive system for, to feed on solid foods. You can't chew on milk. So let's read Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Concerning him, concerning Jesus, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice 
have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So the writer of Hebrews is pointing out to his readers that they need to be growing. They need to be maturing. He's telling them that they they ought to be at a maturity level, not just in their behavior, but in their biblical knowledge so that they can teach others. But they're not. They weren't. They weren't on that level. They still needed to be told and taught that they need to repent of their sins. They still needed to be told and taught that they need to have faith in God. They still needed to be told and taught to pray. They still needed to be told and taught the basics. They're not moving on from the basics of the faith. They're stuck on the basics. They're still drinking milk. Now, that's not to say that the basics are something that you move on from as if they're boring and they don't need to be focused on. I still remember uh, I had a pastor at my young adults group um, in response to people who look down on the basics of the faith, you know, people who are like, man, I'm tired of the basics. Let's, let's go over the deep stuff. None, none of this, this, this shallow stuff. Let's, let's go over the deep theological things. You know, in response to that kind of attitude, the pastor, my pastor said, he said, if the basics are boring you, it's probably because you're not practicing them. Just saying, it's probably true. And that's exactly the point. The basics aren't to be moved on from. The basics are to be practiced. They're to be practiced. As time passes in your walk with Christ, you shouldn't have to be taught about the basics. You should be doing them. You should be doing them. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in verse 14, solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The milk is the foundation that gives you the strength and the growth to move on to the solid food of the faith. As you move on to the solid food, you are teaching and feeding others about the milk, something that you have not moved on from, but rather you are practicing daily in your life. And the word of God is the source of all of it. The word of God is the milk. The word of God is the meat or the tempeh for those of you who are practicing the Garden of Eden diet. You know, the word of God is everything. And that's why Peter says to long for the pure milk of the word. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As you guys turn there, just a little background. This letter to the Corinthians, it was written to a group of believers who were a mess. They were a mess, doing all kinds of things wrong and improperly. They were just just a mess. And in the portion that we're about to read, Paul is addressing the lack of maturity. He's addressing the lack of holiness. He's addressing the difference between a born-again saved person and an unsaved person. So let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to read, uh, we're going to start at verse 14, and we're going to read through chapter 3, verse 4. It says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that, and that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now 
you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? So Paul is telling the Corinthian believers that he couldn't give them solid food to eat. He couldn't give them solid food to eat. He had to give them milk because they were behaving like infants in Christ. He says that they were behaving fleshly. The word fleshly in the Greek, it means carnal, your old nature. It means that you're governed by your human nature as opposed to governed by the Spirit of God. So they were behaving like infants, governed by their old nature rather than the Spirit. So if they're behaving like infants, what, what exactly were they doing? What was it that they were doing? Well, they were being divisive. They were being clicky. I'm with this guy. Oh, yeah? Well, well I'm with this guy. And they were creating division. They were creating jealousy. They were creating strife instead of promoting unity. So this behavior, this, the type of behavior that's described in 1 Corinthians, it's somewhat acceptable when you're talking about someone who's new to the faith. Somewhat acceptable. They're an infant in Christ. It's, it's somewhat acceptable. Someone who's a baby in Christ. You know, they're learning. You know, they're learning about the Bible. They're learning about the faith. They're developing spiritual muscles. But as you grow and mature, you are to grow out of these type of fleshly behaviors. And that's why, going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, before Peter says that they need to long for the pure milk of the word like newborn babies, in verse 1, he says that they need to put aside, they need to put aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Before you can grow by feeding on the milk of the word, you need to put these things away from you. You need to repent of these behaviors because they're not of God. And although the list, could, the, the list that is provided, it could actually almost be endless of things that we need to repent of and get rid of, uh, Peter only lists a few. He lists malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So what are these things? Malice, it means ill will. It means ill will. Desire to injure. Unashamed of breaking laws. Like, you're, you're doing the wrong thing, but you have no shame about it. Malignity is also what it means. Think of a malignant tumor, a tumor that is just spreading throughout the body. It's spreading its death and corruption throughout the body. Someone who has malice is seeking to spread their ill will or trouble or sin to others without shame, even when they're confronted about it. That's someone who has malice. He also says deceit. Deceit means trickery, slyness and using these things to get what you want with no regard for others. He also says hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a word that means like an actor on a stage, an actor. So hypocrisy is acting, and you're devoid of all sincerity and genuineness. You know, this isn't someone who desires to do the right thing, yet they fail. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is somebody who acts like they want to do the right thing, yet they have no intention of actually doing it. And then he also mentions envy. Envy is a painful or resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else joined with the desire to possess that advantage. So you see somebody who has something or is doing something that you wish you could do, 
and it's painful for you to think about that this person gets to do that. And additionally, you're like, I want to do that. I want to do that specific thing instead of them. They shouldn't be there. I should be there. That's envy. And what does envy often cause you to do? Well, it causes you to do the fifth thing that he lists, slander. Slander means defamation, backbiting, evil speaking, using your words to speak evil against someone else, to bring someone else down, to insult someone for the purpose of harming their reputation. And this doesn't always have to be on purpose either. You know, that's why you really shouldn't talk about people behind their backs. Did you hear? Did you hear about, did you hear about so-and-so? Why are you saying that? Why are you saying that? You could be accidentally defaming somebody. You, you could be accidentally slandering somebody. You're not trying to, but because of the whispers, you're like, did you hear about so-and-so? Stay away from that. So do any of these things exist in you? And just look inwardly. Do any of these things exist in you? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander. If they do, if these things exist in you, they're ruining your appetite. These things are ruining your appetite for the pure milk of the word. You ever ruin your appetite? You make plans to go, you know, go out to eat somewhere, and then you, know, you make the mistake of eating like a cookie or two or three or a whole box of cookies or candy. You, know, you just stuff yourself with candy, but then you get, you get to the spot where you're going to go eat, and you look at the menu, and like, everything looks disgusting because you've ruined your appetite. So it's sad when that happens. It's sad. It's happened to me before. But that's why Peter says to put these things away from you. Put these things away from you. They will ruin your appetite for the word, which will then cause you not to feed on the word, which will then stifle your growth, which will then cause you to remain a baby Christian even longer, lacking maturity. You ever wonder why you're not growing? Anybody? You ever wonder why you're not growing? Well, maybe it's because you're ruining your appetite. Maybe you're ruining your appetite, and it's not just the things that are listed here in 1 Peter. Like I said, the list can be nearly endless of the things that we need to remove from our lives, things that need to be repented of so that we can feed on the milk and have an appetite. So you're looking inwardly, but maybe you see these issues in other people. Maybe you see these issues in, in your brothers and sisters. Maybe you feel like, you see other people within the body with these problems. Maybe you look around, you see malice, you see deceit, you see hypocrisy, you see envy, you see slander. Maybe like in the Corinthian church, you see the factions. Oh, I'm with this person, I'm with this person. You see the divisions. Maybe you see issues within the body. And my question to you is, well, what are you doing to help these issues? What are you doing to help these things? Are you doing anything to help the apparent issues that you see? Are you praying for the people involved? Are you praying for the people involved that you see these things in? Are you developing relationships with people? Are you developing relationships with the people that you see these issues with so that then maybe you can kind of provide some encouragement on righteousness from a place of relationship instead of pointing fingers? So many times people try to point others in the right direction, but it's like, I don't even know you. Back up. 
If you're pointing out issues for the sole purpose of just pointing out issues without any intention of being a solution or working towards a solution, then at the end of the day, it's all about you. If you're just like, there's something wrong there, 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 there. If your thinking is, well, I don't like the way they do this, or why, why is that person doing that? And you're not praying for wisdom, for the people involved, you're not praying for them, then I would venture to say that you're just really seeking to serve yourself. You want things done a certain way or you want people to act a certain way, but you don't want to put in the work to assist in changing the hearts and minds of your brothers and sisters. Or maybe, maybe you need to pray for yourself. Maybe you think you see an issue, but maybe you're just misinterpreting something. Maybe you're misinterpreting something. You don't have all the details. Maybe you need to pray for yourself. Lord, am I wrong here? But Jesus said that the one who wants to be the greatest in the kingdom is the one who's going to be the servant of all. So what are you doing to serve as, as a solution to the issues that you see within the body? You personally, you personally. Not, well, I think everyone else should, or I think these people should. No, no, no. What are you doing? What are you personally doing? And sometimes the solution is just to pray for the people involved and not so much going around trying to fix things. Whenever I see something in my wife, if I ever see something in my wife, most, most often she's, you know, I'm the one who's messing up and acting a fool, but if, if I ever see anything in my wife, it's happened a few times. <laughs> she's definitely winning. <laughs> but if, you know, if I ever see anything in my wife that I believe isn't of God, I'm not to bang her over the head with it. Look here, woman. You're not acting right. No. I am to serve her. I am to serve her. I am to serve her by praying for her. I'm to serve her in such a way that it would help her to be set free from the behavior that I believe to be error. And sometimes that means just praying and not saying anything. Just praying so that God can speak to her when she spends time with him. Because a lot of times, you don't want to hear it from other people, but when God tells you, that's effective. So I am to serve her, and we are to serve each other. So how are you serving? Which brings us to our second point. Coffee is spiritual. Coffee is spiritual. So we're going to be, uh, in our second point, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to go over verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. It says this, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Christ is the living stone that was rejected, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But we are also living stones. We are also lived as, I sounded Canadian when I said that, right, Emma? Where it said we're living stones, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we're also living stones. There you go. That's more Cali. We're living stones and are being built up to a spiritual house. We're being built up into a spiritual house as living stones. And if you don't know, the church is not this building. The church is you and me, us believers, us believers gathering together. That is the church. And Peter says that we are being built up 
into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they had a, they had a priesthood that would do the work of, of offering up sacrifices to God. The people would bring, you know, the lambs and the goats, the animals and the other offerings. And the priests, the tribe of Levi, they would burn these things up to create an aroma that was satisfying to the Lord, that was pleasing to the Lord. So that's what they had. But now we, now we are the priesthood. We as believers in Christ, we are the priesthood. We are the ones who are offering up sacrifices, except now we're not sacrificing animals or food or incense. We're offering up ourselves as a sacrifice to God. We offer up ourselves as sacrifices to God. Our praises that we sing are sacrifices that we offer to God. Doing good and sharing are sacrifices that we offer to God. Tithing and giving offerings are sacrifices that we offer to God. When we share the gospel and we win souls for the kingdom, that is a sacrifice that we offer to God. Our gifts, our talents, our passions, our resources, our time, our minds, our efforts, we are offering ourselves as a sacrifice now. It's all through Jesus that we do these things, and it's all for Jesus that we do these things. And the spiritual sacrifices that we offer up are both universal and personal. And what I mean by, what I mean by that is universally, we are all able to offer up our praises, our good works, our tithes, our offerings, our evangelism. These are all broad things that we are all able to do in all things that we should do. But there's also spiritual sacrifices that are personal and specific to us as individuals. Not only are we living stones that are being built up into a spiritual house, but we're also members of Jesus' body. We are also the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And each person is a body part made and designed to do something within the body. Now, this is something that I've brought up multiple times already, um, but I believe it's something that's worth repeating over and over and over again because I, I feel like it's, it's just so beneficial to go over this thing over and over again. So let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. All of us believers, we make up the body of Christ and we've all been given different things to do within the body. And in Romans 12, we find the common idea that is also in 1 Peter chapter 2. So 1 Peter chapter 2, I'll just read those verses again, verses 4 and 5, where it says, You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're going to see the same idea here in Romans 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment." as God is allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. 
if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. I love this portion of scripture. I love this portion of scripture, Romans 12. It's just so practical. You know, last week we looked at verses 9 through 21, if you remember, and it's the same thing. Like, you don't need to, like, break down the verses. It's just, it's just what it, it is what it is. It's very easy to follow. It's practical. But I want to point out a few things that we just read so that this point that I'm trying to make really uh, gets communicated to us tonight. In these verses in Romans chapter 12, we see the same ideas, again, that we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse, in verse 6. I think it was verse 6, verse 5. So in verse, uh, in verse 1 of Romans 12, Paul says that he's urging us to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. Peter, in verse 5, Peter says that we are a holy priesthood that also offers up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Next, Paul says, don't be conformed to the world and don't be arrogant in your thinking. But instead, he says to be transformed by the renewal of your mind and to have sound judgment. And Peter says to put aside the fleshly things that get in the way and to feed on the word which will cause us to grow. Same idea, reiterated again. And then Paul says that we are all one body and each person is a member of that body each with different functions. And then Peter again says that we are all one spiritual house and each person is a living stone that makes up that house where spiritual sacrifices are made. And then Paul gets into some, uh, he gets into some of the different ways that we are offering up sacrifices to God, Paul does. He talks about the gift of prophecy, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, and a few others. But the gift that I want to focus on and the gift that I've been focusing on for a few months now, for a while, uh, is the gift of serving. The gift of serving. And the reason that I've been focusing on this one particular gift, it's not that I think the other gifts aren't important or aren't you know, crucial. They obviously are. These, these are all spiritual gifts. But I found that many people in the church, they tend to think that they don't have any gifts. They tend to think that they don't have any spiritual gifts to offer or that they don't need to get involved in church because they don't have the gift of prophecy or the gift of teaching or exhortation or they can't sing. So they think, oh, I don't need to get involved. But the gift of serving, that's the gift that's interesting. That gift is interesting, the gift of serving. When you look at the Greek, the word that Paul uses when he says serving, the gift of serving, it means service especially of those who obey the commands of another. Service, especially of those who obey the commands of another. So when Paul says that we have been given spiritual gifts to exercise, and he says that service or serving is a spiritual gift, all it means is, is that it's someone who obeys the command of another, that's a spiritual gift. When you obey the command of another, that's a spiritual gift. And in the context of our body here at CORE and Zeal Young Adults, that can mean a lot of different things. That can mean a lot of different things. Serving, 
the gift of serving, the spiritual gift of serving. So that means that there are a lot of opportunities for you to use your spiritual gift of service within the body here at Court Church. As many of you know, we have a children's ministry where the kids of Court Church, we don't have it tonight, it's usually on Sundays and Thursdays, the kids of Court Church, they're taught the Word of God as their parents are in the main sanctuary also being taught the Word of God. We also have at this church people who assist in the parking lot. Many of you have seen them. They help people park their cars in our tiny little parking lot. They help people park their cars efficiently and safely sometimes. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Matthew. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we also have ushers. We have ushers who assist people with finding seats. You'd be surprised how hard it is for adults to find a seat. It's crazy. It's like, yo, just, if you see an empty chair, sit there. But we have ushers. They help people find seats, and also the, you know, they light up the floors whenever the sanctuary is dark during worship. We have people who run the lights, the LED screens, people who post the lyrics during worship for the songs that are being sung so everyone can join along. We have people who are on the video cameras so that we can live stream our services so that people towards the back or on the sides of the sanctuary, they can you know, look at the screens and still be able to see clearly what's going on on this stage. We have a sound man for the sanctuary, and we need a sound man for the control room, which controls the sound that goes to the live stream. It's another aspect that we have. We have people who, uh, who are directors in the control room. They're communicating with the people on the cameras, you know, having them get certain shots because they're controlling what goes out to the live stream. We have people who are hosting the live stream services. I don't know if you're aware of that. We have people who are in the online chat room just, you know, they're posting scripture, they're posting other things, just trying to help make the online church feel like a community. And they're also available for prayer when people need prayer. We have people who get together before each Sunday service in order to pray for that specific service. We have people who cook food for all of the volunteers that are here on Sunday. The volunteers, when, they're here on, when they volunteer on Sunday, they, they're here for both services. They serve at one service and then they sit in for the second one so they can also be fed the word of God, and people get hungry. So we have, we have people who will cook food for all of the volunteers who volunteer on Sundays. We have people who maintain the pretty flowers that are inside and outside. They maintain all of these things. We have men who act as watchmen, making sure that there's no questionable things going on. If someone comes in with a funny-looking bag, best believe we're going to check that bag. What's in the bag? Looks a little strange because we want people to be safe. Now, I don't know if I, if I missed any of the ministries that are here, uh, but that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff that goes down at this church, and it's all done by people who volunteer to serve. They serve. And then here at Zeal, as many of you know, you know, aside from the lyrics and the greeters, we also have baristas. We have people who, who serve coffee. And we would love to have, I mean, I would love to have all the bells and whistles that are a typical Sunday service, you know, cameras, lights, and all that stuff. I would love to have that. We just don't have the volunteers for it yet. I know it'll happen at some point. I know it will. But we need people to serve. Now, all of these things, all of these things that I just talked about, all the things that go down at this church, all these things that I just talked about, they may not be listed 
as specific spiritual gifts. Like you don't read it in Romans where Paul says, you know, in the gift of video cameras, you know, do it with diligence. And the gift of helping people park their cars, make sure you do it with diligence. They're not listed, but they are all things. All of these things, they're things that require you to obey the command of another, which would qualify as a spiritual gift. You're obeying the command of another. The gift, the spiritual gift of serving simply is obeying the command of another. So all of these things that we have here at Core Church, you, you exercise the spiritual gift by doing these things. You offer up a holy and acceptable sacrifice through Jesus Christ when you serve. So in this way, coffee is spiritual. Coffee is spiritual because you are serving coffee as a spiritual gift of service. And when we get to 1 Peter chapter 4, eventually, you know, we'll go into the details of, of when service is mentioned there. But it's also just this, the simple meaning of, of offering a service to others, doing something that benefits someone else. So I encourage you all, if you've been attending this fellowship, if you've been attending Core Church for about six months or more, serve. Just serve. It's a spiritual gift. Serving is a spiritual gift that I believe we all possess. We all possess that gift that spiritual gift of service. And if you have other spiritual gifts that maybe, maybe you're not, even not aware of it, maybe you think you don't have any spiritual gifts. You're just not aware of it yet. But when you start serving, when you start exercising the spiritual gift of serving, God will begin to reveal to you other things that he's gifted you with. It'll just happen. So let's all turn to Ephesians chapter four as we close out this point. Ephesians chapter four. So again, I encourage you all, you know, to serve, serve the body, because it's incredibly important. It's important. It's not just important for you. It's also important for the body of believers as a whole. It's important for everybody that you serve specifically. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11. We're going to go through verse 16, but I'm going to insert, you know, little tidbits as we go along. So let's start in verse 11, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to build up the body of Christ. So as a pastor and a teacher, what am I here to do? What am I here to do? According to verse 12, I'm here to equip you all for the work of service. There's that word again. It's the same Greek word. I'm here to equip you all for the work of of service to build up the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. The work of service to build up the body of Christ. It's interesting wording, and it will come up again as we continue in our verses, but let's keep reading. Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So the goal is maturity. The same as 1 Peter 2, where the pure milk of the word helps you to grow. And then in Hebrews and 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about the meat or the solid food of the word, which makes you mature, 
It's all about maturity. In these verses, we, the verses that I just read, we see a huge focus on maturing, on not being children, on growing up. And in the following verse, we're going to read verse 16. This is where, you know how I said in verse 12, it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. This is where it kind of comes full circle. So we're going to start in verse 15 and then read verse 16. So Ephesians 4:15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, verse 16, I found that it's kind of wordy, and there's a lot of commas in there. Sometimes it's hard for me to follow when there's so many commas. Because, you know, like, commas are just, like, interrupting thoughts. So it's like, okay, I'm getting this. And, well, you just broke my train of thought. But now this is there, but over here, it's just, so I want to read it in the New Living Translation. The New Living Translation makes everything simple. So verse 16 in the New Living Translation says this, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So that's pretty simple. So using your spiritual gifts, Using your spiritual gifts, which includes the gift of service that I've been talking about, is beneficial to you, but also to the body as a whole. Because when you serve, when you do your part, you are helping other parts grow with the result that the whole body, the whole body is growing and healthy and full of love, as it says in verse 16. That's how God designed the church. That's how God designed this church to work. When my legs do their part, I'm able to walk. It's nice. When my legs do their part, I can walk. When my teeth do their part, I'm able to chew food. I'm able to get nourished, get nutrients. When the body does what it's supposed to do, it benefits the whole body. When we do our part within the body, when we serve, when we obey the command of another, when we are helping, we are helping the whole body to grow. And there are many opportunities, again, at core to serve. So get involved. It's worth it. But back to First Peter. Peter says that we are all living stones. Peter says that we are all living stones who are being built up into a spiritual house. But Jesus is also a living stone. Jesus is also a living stone. And we have been accepted by the Father as living stones for this house that he is building, as was Jesus accepted by the Father as a living stone for this house. But Peter also says that Jesus was the living stone that was rejected by men. So although he was accepted by the Father, he was rejected by men, which brings us to our short and final point, loud stones. So going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, let's read verses 6 through 8 as we look at our third point, loud stones. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. So turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, is, that's where we'll be uh, in our final verses for the night. Now let's take a look at what Peter's talking about. So what, what Peter is, is saying, what's being communicated, is that Jesus was presented to the people of Israel as the Messiah, Savior. He was presented to them as such. He was a choice stone. He was a precious cornerstone that was given to Israel. It was given to them. In Isaiah 28, 16, where this verse is quoted from, it says that the cornerstone is firmly placed for the foundation of the structure. So Christ's appearance in Israel was foundational to the entirety of this spiritual house that God is building. It's foundational, this cornerstone. And Peter writes that all who believe in him will not be disappointed. All who believe in this cornerstone won't be disappointed, and we're not. I'm not. I'm not disappointed. Through our belief in this cornerstone in Jesus Christ, we have been saved, we have been forgiven, we have been redeemed, we've been cleansed, we've been made holy, we've been reconciled to God. Go on and on and on and on. I am not disappointed by this faith that I have in this foundational cornerstone. We don't have to pay for our sins. The precious cornerstone did that for us. So we're not disappointed. But for those who did not believe, they rejected the choice and precious cornerstone. They didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. So they rejected him. They rejected him. But they were wrong. They were wrong in rejecting Jesus. So the stone that they rejected, this is the stone that became the cornerstone. The crucial stone that is absolutely necessary for the foundation of our faith of anybody's faith. So instead of being the foundational cornerstone to these people that rejected him, Christ the cornerstone became just a rock that they trip over and they get offended by. So that's something interesting to highlight. Jesus will be one of two things to you. Jesus will be one of two things to you. He can either be the cornerstone foundational to your faith or he can be just a rock that you trip over and that you get a, and, and, and a rock that offends you but the choice is yours. The choice is yours. You can either believe and not be disappointed, like it says in verses six and seven, or you can be disobedient to the word and head towards the doom that's been appointed for you, like it says in verse eight. So Peter says that Jesus is the precious cornerstone, a living stone, and we are also living stones because of our faith. We are stones in God's house. We are stones in God's house. Remember that. And in Luke 19... Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the last time. And the people are going crazy for him. They're going crazy for him. He rides into town on a donkey, very humble. And the people lay out their coats and palm branches on the road that the donkey is traveling on. And the people, they begin to shout praises. They begin to shout praises. So let's pick up Luke chapter 19, verse 37. As soon as he was approaching... Near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, 
If these become silent, the stones will cry out. And as we close out, I'd like to invite the band to come back up. The religious leaders, they tell Jesus that he needs to calm his disciples down because they're getting a little crazy, maybe even bordering on blasphemy. But Jesus says, even if these people were to shut their mouths, the stones would start praising. You can't stop it. If these become silent, the stones will cry out. And that's exactly what happened. All those people, they became silent. They all rejected him. He came in riding into Jerusalem and the people were shouting for him. They were going crazy for him. But then when he was arrested and subjected to a sham of a trial and eventually flogged and crucified, their praises became silent. He was deserted by almost everyone. There was a few people that stuck around a handful of people that stuck around to his crucifixion, but the vast majority of the people left him hanging. They became silent. And as a whole, the people of Israel, represented by the religious leaders, they were silent too. They were silent. They rejected him vehemently and even demanded that he be put to death. John 1.11, it says that he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. He was rejected by his own people. His own people were silent. But then the stones started making noise because Jesus, the cornerstone, was rejected and was seen as merely a rock to trip over by the vast majority of his own people. So then God decided, all right, I'm going to move on to the Gentiles then. And now we who are here who are not descendants of Israel, now we have this cornerstone. We believe in this cornerstone. We are the stones that are crying out and shouting praises to our king. We are the stones that have come to life because of our faith in Jesus. We are living stones, and we are being built up into a spiritual house in Christ. So we need to work at maintaining and strengthening this house by serving, which means we also need to grow. We need to feed on the milk and the solid food of the word, but before we can feed on the word, we need to make sure that we're not ruining our appetites by feeding on other fleshly things. We need to repent and put away fleshly things in our lives. We need to put them away because then we'll truly be able to feed on and digest the word of God and grow. So if the Lord has spoken to anybody tonight, if the Lord has spoken to you tonight, Tell somebody. Tell a brother or sister. If the Lord is speaking to you tonight, tell somebody so that they can come alongside you and pray with you and pray for you. Maybe that brother or sister needs to hear the same thing that God is telling you, but they just weren't listening at the time. So if God has spoken to you, tell somebody. Find somebody to pray with. If it's not a leader, man, we all have the Holy Spirit. As long as we're born-again believers, we have the Spirit of God inside of us. So we all have the ability to pray for each other. So seek prayer. Seek prayer. But other than that, let's worship. Let's worship God. Let's praise him for his grace. But let's pray.